This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. You know what? You know who I can do without? I can do without the people in the video store. Which ones? All of them. This is Massive Late Fee with Mike and Mark. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to Massive Late Fee. My name is Mark. With me, as always, is my co-host, Mike. How you doing, Mike? Not too bad. How about yourself? Good. We've had a good week here at Massive Late Fee. As usual, uh, Retro Late Fee was pretty fun this week, and everyone should go and check it out. Carol and I are also coming up with something to put on the Massive Late Fee Patreon that should be up within the next couple weeks. We'll let you know about it, but it will be Patreon-exclusive stuff for fans of Massive Late Fee and Retro Late Fee. So definitely check that out. Also, go to BigHeadsMedia.com to find more of our great podcasts and all that stuff. Also, you know, I guess I've been talking about how everyone's show might be their first show. In case you guys don't know, we we cover streaming shows. If you can stream it, basically we cover it. Movies, TV, things like that. Amazon, Netflix, Hulu, Maybe Disney Plus when it comes out. But I, I kind of doubt it, Mike. I'm not watching it. Speaking of things we're not interested in, the news. <laughs> well, like I like I said before, we generally cover this stuff for you guys. But really, please note, Mike and I do not give a shit about any of this stuff. Instead of the news, Mike, I think we should start calling this segment uh, We Don't Care or something like that. Who gives a shit? Yeah, because here's some more who gives a shit. Uh, Brian Tyree Henry is in talks to join A Quiet Place 2 in a mystery role. So, first of all, they're making a sequel to A Quiet Place. I don't know why. It was a. I liked the movie, but I don't know why you make a sequel to it. And did, see it? did they, uh, did they like, defeat the aliens at the end or no? Yes, they discovered how to do it. Okay. It sounds like a sequel to an order. It was, it was sort of like, it, it reminded me of the end of it, and the, I'm not the first person to say this, but the ending reminded me of the ending of Signs in a little bit. Or it's like a really obvious like solution the whole time. Yeah, because they, you know, in Signs it's water, and in this movie, the, you know, <laughs> shock and spoiler, the aliens that can't see but have really acute senses of hearing, their weakness is high-pitched sounds. So, you know, they have really good senses of hearing. And it's basically, it's like a dog whistle. Jeez. So that's their that's their weakness. And they discover that at the end of the film and then end up killing one of them. Uh, so anyway, this, uh, this yeah. person, the name sounds very familiar. Like I, I was, I watch, I've been watching a lot of Jimmy Kimmel like live clips. Like this, uh, he has like his, I don't know what the, the his sidekick maybe Guillermo. He like goes and like interviews people. Mm-hmm. I could have sworn he interviewed somebody with that name today, like Brian something Henry. You said, oh, wait, that's that might be my neighbor's name actually. Now that <laughs> Brian Tyree. Oh, your neighbors with Bi- Brian Tyree Henry. Okay. Is that his, what's is that his last name? Yeah, Brian Henry? Brian Tyree Henry. You know, I'm pretty sure this is, is my neighbor in this movie. It could be. Let's see. Oh, oh, 
I just gotta send a quick message to my wife. Uh, honey, is this uh, is this our neighbor's last name or is it Howard? I I never remember. <laughs> well, he's been in the films uh, Widows, If Beale Street Could Talk, Spider Man Into the Spider Verse, and uh, he's gonna be in that Child's Play movie and the Joker movie. Yeah, I haven't seen any of those. I heard the Spider Verse movie is pretty good though. Yeah, it uh, it I watched it with the kids. It's actually uh. It's actually not too bad. Looks well, good. It's coming to Netflix soon, so I'll probably have to check that out. So I guess we do kind of care about this because your neighbor is in the movie. He's really a nice guy too, Brian. Uh, congratulations on all your Hollywood success. <laughs> uh, so more sequel talk. Jason Blum teases Halloween 2 talks with Jamie Lee Curtis. Wow. It's hard. It'll be hard to make a movie worse than the uh, original... Uh remake of the remake yeah i agree <laughs> although if i remember correctly and i think this was our first review maybe or one of our no our first review is better call saul but it was it was our second review yeah, it was it was very early on for sure if i recall correctly i think you liked it a little bit more than it i did okay the ending was really bad though yeah and there's a lot of dumb stuff going on throughout the whole thing which we both uh agreed on i believe oh yeah for sure we definitely pointed out all the all the stupid things in the movie, but yeah, they're they're making a sequel, uh, which you knew were, was going to happen as soon as this made a dollar. You knew they were going to make a sequel to it, and Jamie Lee Curtis reprising her role. I guess she doesn't care about, I don't know, making quality films anymore. I, don't know. I mean, I mean, I don't know. She's not really in a lot of movies. I mean, she's in like a. Trading Places, obviously. Mm-hmm. True Lies, which I love. That's one of my favorite movies for sure. Um, was she in the My Girl movies, maybe? I think she was in the first one. Yeah, the, I think she was in both, but I think she had a really small role in the second one. Yeah, I think the second one was like, like at the very beginning, like, okay, well, we're going to Hollywood. I, I think they, I don't remember where they were originally from, but they did go to like Hollywood because they remember they went to the La Brea Tar Pits. Yeah. Maybe they were from California. I really don't remember. She was from that town where everyone dies from bee stings. Yeah. Except for fucking Dan Aykroyd. (laughs) So, uh, the last thing that I have in news also concerns a sequel. Uh, There's a shock. The the Bill and Ted 3 movie, uh, they've they've cast their own daughters, Billy and Thea. So, uh, it's... I think I I think we reported this before. It's called uh, Bill and Ted Face the Music. They uh... yeah. I, I'm sorry. I I think I will probably see this at some point, I, or maybe I just won't because I don't want to see a bad Bill and Ted movie because I like the first two. Mm-hmm. But I'm a huge Keanu Reeves fan, as everyone knows. But uh, apparently, I guess they're playing, they're playing their own children. So they're they're basically playing, I, I mean, kind of themselves. Okay. So it'll be this will be interesting, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I like both of the first two movies, like you said, as you uh, astutely pointed out before when we talked about this. The second one is better than the first one. Uh, but it's, it's definitely better. I, 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 yeah, I really like the second one a lot. Yeah, the set. They made they made a really good choice. Now I know they're bringing the create the same creative team back together. So, I guess I'm willing to give this a chance, considering the fact that they made a movie that I thought was really good, the first Bill and Ted's movie, 
And in an era where every sequel was just a completely like a like a, a redo of the first movie, they went completely in the other direction. They brought a lot of very original and funny ideas to it. So I don't know what they've really been up to. I, you know, not Alex Winter and and Keanu Reeves, but I mean like the writer and director, like the creative people behind it. I don't know what they've been up to since because I I haven't looked that up. But I guess I'm willing to give them a chance because when they did a sequel, they did it right. So I don't know. Maybe I I, I haven't seen a lot of bad Keanu Reeves movies. I mean, I I didn't see Mm -hmm. The Replacements. I know some people didn't like that, but I I didn't see it. I mean, I actually like The Replacements. Yeah, like I said, I haven't seen a movie of his that I don't really like. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can't think of one. Yeah, so it's not one. And here's the thing. Here's what I what I fear is that it's going to be a good movie that doesn't do well in the theater. That's that's my fear because I'm probably not going to go see it in the movie theater, but I am interested to see it. I probably just I I almost feel like they should just release it on Netflix. That would be that would be the way to do it, I think. Because I mean, why not just release everything on Netflix from now on? Because I don't want to go to the movie theater. Do you? No. Not at all. Alex Winter, I think he did a couple documentaries. They're really interesting. It was like on the deep web, one of them was. Another one was also something to do with like, you know, technology. And Keanu Reeves narrated one of them. I just can't remember the name of them, but I watched most of one of them. It was really, really interesting. Well, that's cool. Yeah, I, I like both of them. And I like the Bill and Ted movies. So I'm hopeful that it'll be good. But as I said, I'm probably waiting till it's coming to streaming. Yeah, same here. So, now, we will move on. Uh, speaking of things that you can stream, not not that you necessarily want to, although, for an Educating Mike segment, this movie has some pretty good reviews. I'll say that. Uh, Mike, are you familiar with the 1987 science fiction film, Cherry 2000? I recall seeing the uh, who, who's on the cover. I recall seeing the, the the cover of the videotape, like you know, at the video store and that kind of stuff. And it was like, kind of like a sultry looking kind of like picture. Yeah, it's Melanie Griffith and uh, David Andrews. Well, maybe that's not because I don't think it was Melanie Griffith who I recall in the picture. Maybe I was thinking something else. Well, she looks a lot different today. Well, yeah. Ugh, rough. Uh, but this movie as I said, made in 1987. I'll I'll educate you on the plot of Cherry 2000. In 2017, the United States has fragmented into post-apocalyptic wastelands and limited civilized areas. Which, I mean, you know, they kind of got that right. (laughs) One of the effects of the economic crisis is a decline in manufacturing. Yep. And heavy emphasis on recycling aged... 20th century mechanical equipment. Society has become increasingly bureaucratic uh and hypersexualized with the declining number of human sexual encounters requiring contracts drawn up by lawyers prior to sexual activity. Now, I've actually seen this movie a long time ago. I remember a scene in a bar. This guy goes to a bar and he, he meets this woman and... And this woman shows him, it's basically 
It's like an iPad. She takes out an iPad, but it's got a holographic image of it of her on it, and it shows her having sex with another guy. And she's like, "Look, you know, see how good I am at sex. Let's have sex. Let's draw up the paperwork." Kind of thing. <laughs> I think it's to to ensure that they don't have diseases because you know this is sort of the AIDS crisis was popping off in 1987. Yeah. Yeah, AIDS was really uh, trending back then. Yeah, yeah, you know how AIDS gets. <laughs> I mean, now it's it's not. I mean, except for what I'm watching, uh, the show Impractical Jokers. They always, every single time, they have a commercial for this thing called Truvada, which is like I, I don't know what it does. I think it like prevents you from getting like HIV or something. Mm-hmm. Outside from that, I never hear anything about AIDS. Like it's just like it's, I mean, that's probably a good thing, but it's just kind of weird. Yeah, they basically cured it, uh, is what I've heard. I mean, you know, they're or they're very, very, very close to curing it. They. They cured it in two individuals. Manage it, like you know, like diabetes or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they. I know that they 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 put it in remission, basically, in two individuals. I was reading about, and also they did this study where if you have HIV or AIDS and you're on antiretroviral medication, you can't transmit it. They did like a 15 year study of people with it and their partners, and of the I think it was like like two or three thousand people only seven people got it and it was revealed that the seven people that got it did so because of affairs that they had outside of their actual relationship so no one who was on antiretrovirals passed it on to anyone else you're you're basically trying to get AIDS at that point. You're you're taking anti-retro, you know, retrovirus right. uh, medication and you're cheating and not taking the medication? You... Right. So basically their 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 goal right that's, now That's like the kind, the kind of person who like tells her friends like, "Oh, you got it. How how that happened?" <laughs> yeah, this is not the chicken pox, guys. Oh, you were bathing in Magic Johnson's blood and you uh, <laughs> caught it? That's weird. But yeah, basically they're Basically, their goal at this point is to get everyone who has HIV on antiretroviral medication and just let it die out, basically. And, you know, and, not not spread it to anyone new. And then uh, Jenny McCarthy will come down the street and say, hey, you know, that retroviral uh, medication is giving your kids autism. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then it'll explode. Uh, okay, anyway, so uh, at the same time, robotic technology has made tremendous developments and female androids, androids more properly gynoids, <laughs> are used as substitutes for wives. So, I mean, they're kind of like real dolls, I guess, but, you know, they can move and talk and they call them gynoids. Uh, oh, I guess that's, I guess that's a, yeah, I guess that's a, a it's just weird, but I guess that's an actual scientific term. A feminine humanoid robot. Uh, it's weird that they're only female, though. There's no males. I don't think that's realistic. Uh, I think it is. <laughs> Business executive Sam Treadwell, David Andrews, owns a Cherry 2000 model gynoid as his wife. After she short circuits during sex... <laughs> Which, by the way, it's not it's not a uh, a larger than average load that causes that to happen. They're, what? Well, larger than average load? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> that's not why she short circuits. It's because they're in the bathtub. Now, why? What? 
why you're having what? sex with your with your robotic android in a bathtub, I don't know. But your whole your whole your whole take on this is insane. <laughs> you thought he shot to be able to load it shorter up? Oh my god! No, I'm saying that didn't happen. But it doesn't. Ex- why would you bring it up? Well, because it just says after she short circuits during sex. It doesn't explain how that happens. I didn't <laughs> want people. Best thought is, well, this guy's drowning her in jizz. He must be <laughs> fucking short circuiting. <laughs> Sam is told by a repairman that she is damaged beyond repair. A gynoid dealer, this is who he meets at the bar, tells Sam that the Cherry 2000 model has since gone out of manufacture and that the only remaining ones are in a defunct factory in Zone 7, a particularly (laughs) dangerous, lawless area. Why wouldn't he just want the newer model? Yeah, it's really, like, in this movie, he's very attached to this model because of the way she... He basically forms an emotional connection with this robot. And he wants this exact robot. He takes her memory disc with him. This is a dumb movie because you should easily be able to upgrade the uh, bot and have the personality on the new the new one. I agree. So yeah, I mean, this movie is basically this guy is going to look. F- this guy is going to go into a war zone to get a flashlight. I mean, that's yeah because because everyone knows that men uh, once their spouse dies, they always find the exact same age and uh, you know type of person. Exactly. Yep. They don't want the newer model ever. No twins, if possible. Jeez, this is a really dark episode, Mark. <laughs> okay, so uh, he's got to go into Zone Seven, and he hires Edith E. Johnson, Melanie Griffith, a tough tracker, to guide him to the factory. Melanie Griffith plays a tough tough tracker? Yeah, it's really weird. That doesn't make any sense at all. As they enter Zone 7, I want them to remake this movie with Dakota Johnson. (laughs) Since that's Melanie (laughs) Griffith's daughter. Uh, As they enter Zone 7, they encounter Lester, a wasteland overlord with deranged subordinates. Edith and Sam enter an underground reservoir occupied by Six Finger Jake, (laughs) an elderly tracker who who was Edith's mentor. Does that mean he has six fingers total or on one hand? I think he has six fingers total. Oh my. I thought maybe he was like mutated from, you know, zone seven. Right. Uh, When Lester's men attack, the three attempt to escape, but Sam is knocked unconscious and taken to a 1950s style motel slash village run by Lester. (laughs) He is greeted by his ex-girlfriend, Elaine, who now calls herself Ginger, and works for Lester. Ginger tells Sam that he was only spared that he was the only one uh, spared by Lester's men. Lester decides to induct Sam into the group and Sam goes along. When he witnesses the group sadistically murdering a tracker, <laughs> he decides to escape. As he escapes Lester's group, Sam runs into Edith and Jake. Jake stays behind to create some distractions and gives Cherry's memory disc to Edith, though he had earlier led Sam to believe the chip had been lost. Seems mean. Like, I don't know. He was still helping him. Like, I could see if he did it. It was like, hey, it's we don't need to go anymore into this zone. The chip's lost. You're never going to get her her memories. But uh, he was still leading him there. Edith, realizing Sam is a veteran of earlier wars, begins to see him in a new light and have feelings for him. Sam realizes he is attracted to Edith, but feels guilty when he is reminded of Cherry. So, you know, that uh, 
that robot has really got his heart. After fighting off Lester's goons, they continue to the factory. Edith goes to a brothel slash gas station. (laughs) You know, I don't doubt that if sex work is legalized, that, uh, you know, some places will will be, you know, like, you know, like how they have uh, KFC uh, Burger Kings. Or... Have you ever seen the movie uh, Idiocracy? Yes. Yeah, that's what they do there. It's uh, Star Starbucks. They also have like, uh, you know, sexual massages and stuff. Right. I just don't see that happening in a gas station too, though. Anyway, this gas station slash brothel is owned by Snappy, a friend of Jake's, uh, and they borrow his plane. Snappy then betrays them to Lester. Why'd he give them their plane? Uh, Jake is killed, but Edith and Sam escape in the plane. Sam suggests that they turn around, but Edith is determined to find a Cherry 2000 model, so Jake's death will not be meaningless. As they land, Zone 7 is revealed to actually be the ruins of Las Vegas, now a ghost town. The, the gynoid factory is actually a casino called Pharaoh's Casino. Uh, you know, not a very... Not a very original name. Sam finds a functional Cherry 2000 and activates her with the memory disc. Somehow, like, still charged up, apparently, though. Yeah, I guess. When Lester's gang finds them, Edith and Sam manage to evade and kill many of his henchmen. Escaping to the plane, the three find that their combined weight prevents takeoff. Which one do you think's weighing them down? The two normal-sized human beings or the robot? Oh, I think we all know it's that one guy's fucking load in his pants. It's just like, <laughs> weighs pounds and pounds. <laughs> Edith jumps out, despite Sam rejecting the idea. Sam turns the plane around to help the now-trapped Edith, uh, and then Sam sends Cherry to get him a Pepsi. Great product placement for Pepsi, by the way. Hey, yeah. can we be in your robot sex movie? Oh, it is the choice of a new generation. That's right. Then has Edith get aboard. Lester is killed trying to stop them from escaping. Edith and Sam then kiss as they fly away. Sam tells Edith he intends to pay her for services rendered. I'm assuming the tracking work. Edith tells him, quote, baby, you've already paid me. Oh. That's how the, uh, that's how the film ends. Wait, so does he does he get with her or with Cherry 2000 then? No, he gets with her. He sends Cherry 2000 off to get him a Pepsi so that, like, basically, it's like it's like sending the dog off, you know, when, uh, when, it's, why not, when it's dying. Why not just go with both? Yeah, well, the, the, their combined weight uh, wouldn't let the plane take off for some reason. Well, you know, Edith will, uh, well, you know, uh, she'll get bored of that eventually, so you just keep Cherry around. Yeah, I agree. You know, the thing is, too, you would think that, you know, a normal human is just going to drown to death in that that load. You would think. (laughs) Oh, so here is the parent's guide to Cherry 2000. Sex and nudity. Uh, A man rolls around on the floor with a semi-naked woman, which turns out to be a cyborg. They kiss each other in soapy water before she short circuits. So, as I said, soapy water. It was soapy water. While getting undressed, a woman's topless shadow is seen on a wall, and the uh, her outline of her breasts is clearly visible. So that's... How do you know if it's nude or not if it's a shadow? I agree. I mean, that could be anything. 
A man puts his hands on the breasts of a woman fully clothed before kissing her. They make out on the hood of a car, and he nearly pulls her top down, revealing her breasts, but stops. Sounds almost, you know, uh, chagrined at that point. A man breaks his neck after sent flying into a statue's breasts. I don't know how that's nudity. Because <laughs> it's a, a statue, I guess. I guess. Violence and gore. Some explosions from rocket launchers and bazookas. One is made from a petrol bomb. A couple of men are shot. Nothing graphic. One man operating a crane is shot. Blood smears are seen on his arm. A man is bashed over the head by a wooden beam. A man is made to put a target on his face and then shot with an arrow. Blood smears are seen on the wall. A woman shoots two men in a jeep. The shots fatally wound them, and the jeep flips over. So I guess that just adds in insult injury. <laughs> if they know that they're killed. Great. A man is shot in the back by a girl. The girl is shot in the head, but it's done off camera. A man is shot and falls through a glass skylight buried in sand. And then a man breaks his neck when sent flying into a statue. Jeez. Uh, this statue is like the big central part of this movie, it sounds like. Yeah, I think so. Profanity. Goddamn and shit are used frequently. Uh, a woman tells a man, quote, she, er, she, quote, isn't a fucking machine. Now, this could be read two ways, I, I suppose. It could be Melanie Griffith saying, you know, I, I, you know, I'm not a fucking machine. Or she could say, I'm not a fucking machine. Yeah, that's what I would think it would be. <laughs> Oh, uh, and that is it for the parents guide. Uh, the as I said, the user reviews on here, there are only two one star reviews, uh, and everything else is eight, nine, or ten stars. Oh, is that on TL ten? Yeah, this is on IMDb. Uh, whoa, worst movie I've ever seen. I know people say that phrase casually, but this is in no casual way. What's the worst movie you've ever seen? Oh, the worst movie I've ever seen is probably, hmm, that's a good question. I hate The Mangler so much. I know I've mentioned that a few times on here. Probably, probably the Garbage Pail Kids movie. I don't think anything is quite as, I don't think anything is quite as weird or terrible as that. What about you? What's the worst movie you've ever seen? I don't know. Yeah, I'll have to think about that. We'll have to revisit that at a later time. Up to this point in my life, I am 19. This was written February 27th, 2006, so welcome to your 30s, whoever you are. Cosmo 8. <laughs> I note that the worst movie I've ever seen is Cherry 2000. I don't know how people consider Melanie Griffith an actor. Her unenthusiastic tone doesn't fit her role as a bounty hunter. Maybe you could watch it as a joke or something. But I don't know how you could. The joke would wear off before the movie ended. Wow. This movie review is like uh, a lead balloon. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So, like I said, most of the rest of them are, you know, nine and ten star reviews. With people uh, basically, like, man meets robot, ditches robot for hot babe with gun. I guess I could have just read that instead of reading the plot summary. <laughs> Yeah, that seems like it. Because that is basically it. I mean, besides the giant load. Yeah, the giant load. 
<clears throat> but that is it for educating Mike. Uh, do you think maybe the load was soapy and it filled the bathtub and she wasn't, in fact, in uh, water at all? That's true. It could have just been frothy. Yeah, frothy. It, <laughs> it comes out with such a force. Oh, it's like he's got an air compressor down there. Right. Like okay. a t-shirt cannon full of like, jizz. <laughs> a t-shirt cannon. Oh my god! So, so now uh, I will bring back one of our our favorite segments here, uh, or at least my wife's favorite segment: celebrity diss. Uh, this week, let me just—I got to—I uh, got to page through my um, extensive Twitter following here. This week, I contacted Josie Lawrence, who is in. Good omens. Now, Mike, I'm gonna uh, wait. Joey Lawrence? No, no, not jo- not whoa, <laughs> not not Joey Lawrence. Josie Lawrence. You probably would have more success with uh, Joey Lawrence. Yeah, well, she's a she's a British actress. Now, I, I'm gonna. I, I want you need to be the judge if this is a win or not. By the way, uh, this uh, this celebrity diss. So uh, first, first. You know, I start with the standard greeting, basically. Hello, Miss Lawrence. I represent the Massive Late Fee Podcast, and we are reviewing Good Omens episode by episode. We would love to have you as a guest on our next episode. All you have to do is call in. We record on Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. So, 88 people saw that. Uh, got one like. Guess from who? <laughs> My wife. Josie Lawrence and our pro and our uh, someone clicked our profile. Don't know who that is. So then uh, next, I sent to her. Let's see, where is it? Uh, she she used to be on to give you a little to give you a little background. She was on the original. Whose line is it anyway? The okay, the, I can't know who it is. The British version. So uh, I said to make you feel at home. I can try a Clive Anderson impression, and Mike, my co-host, can do Ryan Stiles. And after that, he does a great Colin Mockery impression. I bet that Clive Anderson's dead by now. Probably. And I said, come join us to talk about Good Omens. Wait, wait, who does she play in Good Omens? Is she one of the nurses? I believe she's the mom of the the wife of that, um, the ambassador, I think. Okay. And then I sent her that I sent her that video that we made about uh, Andy Capper. And Ooh, that's that's probably isn't wise. So I said, check out what we view as comedy, unless you hate this. In that case, assume that a vagrant stole my phone, but you can still message me. My phone was only stolen in your imagination. I don't know the word vagrant. You don't hear that often enough. So. We got a response from Josie Lawrence. That's a, that's a win then. I, 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 is it? Please stop tweeting me. No, Josie Lawrence says so sorry, but I'm stupid busy and will be working then. Hope it goes well though. It was a wonderful series to be a small part of. XXX, which I don't think she's indicating. Uh, you know, pornographic films that we watch pornographic films, but the X's are kisses, right? Yeah. So she's giving us kisses. Oh, that's a win. Our first, uh, we should retire the segment now. 
ever equal the the kindness that Miss uh, Lawrence showed us. Thank you. So I said to her uh, in response, and then she blocked me. No, I'm just I'm just joking. She didn't. I said to her in response, "Hey, thanks so much for the response. Uh, first we've ever gotten." This is a little bit we do for the show. We fully understand that this is not how you seek interviews. That said, you are now one of the patron saints of the show, and you will always be spoken of glowingly. So, yeah, big shout out to Josie Lawrence, who actually responded to us. And I I read a little bit of what she was doing. I know she's in a play. She's doing uh, an improv. She's in a a production of Oklahoma. Uh, If anyone is listening overseas... Uh, she's in a production of Oklahoma, and then she does improv back in LA and stuff too. So I know she actually really is uh, super busy. But uh, thank you so much, um, Josie Lawrence. Isn't that so like very odd when you do get a response from like a celebrity you've tweeted at or mentioned in a tweet? Yeah, it's a little weird. I mean, I was really surprised that we got a response because you know we never do. <laughs> Yeah, as we mentioned long, long ago, I was shocked, like super shocked we got like that uh, very glowing review from uh, Norm MacDonald, like, you know, one of my favorite comedians, if not my favorite. Yeah, you know, it's so weird because you and I talked about it when when Norm MacDonald tweeted about our our show and and gave it that, that, like, really, really good review. And we talked about it. I talked about it with a few other people. And I was, like, so paranoid because... I'm like, do you think this is sarcastic? Do you think it's like, you think he's like making fun of us in some way or, you know, like, or maybe he didn't even like listen or whatever, but you know, I, 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 I don't think it was sarcastic, but I do feel that he didn't actually listen to it. I'm, I'm firmly on that fence myself. I know you have an opposite opinion. Well, by based on the things he said, I think, I, I think he did. Because, you know, in that episode, too, we talked about uh, Roseanne. I know him and Roseanne are, are good friends. And we talked about what happened with Roseanne. And I talked about how, you know, I might not agree with Roseanne politically, but I thought it was bullshit. And I hate when that happens, when people lose their jobs over stupid say, things they say over social media. And he, he talks about political pundits and stuff like that in that review of us, how we're much better than that. And... I don't know. It just, it makes me feel like he actually at least listened to the beginning part where we talk about him. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Like, have you ever got any other like uh, celebrities tweeting or liking or retweeting you? I've had a surprisingly large amount. Really? I, yeah, uh, like, I don't I think, think so. Been... Cause like Pigeon, that's very active on Twitter and he's responded, you know, to multiple things I've said. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, David Bautista of the, uh, Toronto Blue Jays followed me on Twitter for some reason. I have no idea why. That's awesome too. Like as far in uh, this, I thought this was hilarious. Um, everyone knows uh, how much I hate Star Wars, but I, I made a, a response to a tweet from Mark uh, Hamill because it just kind of randomly showed up in my feed, mm-hmm. and he liked it. Oh, nice! It's kind of funny. Just think that you know, he just like one second of his time, you know, all those Star Wars. But it was related to Batman the animated series, actually. So that's why I retweeted it. Everything I've heard about Mark Hamill is that he's like one of the nicest human beings ever. Yeah, in interviews and stuff, he seems like a genuinely nice person. I mean, I like, I'm just not, I don't dislike him. I just dislike Star Wars. I mean, I I still maintain to the state that his version of the Joker is the best ever captured in any form other than God. I agree. I agree. Totally. Oh, so. uh, Norm MacDonald and Josie Lawrence are the patron saints of the show now. 
which is fitting for what we're talking about, uh, you know, this week. But now. I have an insane new idea for a segment I just came up with. Oh, yeah. What is it? All right. We go into the, um, we find a movie, we pick a movie, you and I each do. Mm-hmm. And we go into the uh, parent's guide. Okay. You know, and then we start reading reading the comments on it, like from the least obvious to the most obvious. Whoever guesses it first wins. And I already have a choice and it's excellent. Oh my God! Yes, you want to do that right now. Yeah. Okay. Right, you go ahead and find a movie that you're pretty sure I'll know. You 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 know what's in my wheelhouse, but yeah. I'm talking, I'll, I'll, here's an example. Here's the the least the most vague thing ever. This is under alcohol, drugs, and smoking. Later <laughs> in the film, there's a scene in a bar, but no alcohol consumption is shown. What's the movie? Okay, a scene in a bar, and no one's drinking. Uh, is it Star Wars: A New Hope? It is not. Okay. Oh, let me think. So, so we're well, debuting. We have, to, we, have to this, like, we have to do this like horse, though. You know, we can't just like whoever answers correctly first wins. The other person has to right. have a it's like a spelling bee, I guess. Kind of is what we're doing. Exactly. Let me yeah. think of a movie that I know you've seen or that you know about. Oh, I got one. Um, uh, but what's it called? <laughs> <laughs> I can't ask you what it's called. Um. Oh, what the hell is it called? Oh, Here, I'll um, tell you what. While, while you're thinking, I'll do another one, and then you'll just do two right away when you're ready. Okay, are you ready? Yeah. Again, alcohol, drugs, and smoking. This one is an actual line from the film, so it's a little uh, less challenging. Okay. When the pickup truck with the tra- with the tracker in the back stops, the passenger says, "I hope you took the grass out of the glove compartment." When the pickup truck, read that one more time. When the pickup truck with the tracker in the back stops, the passenger says, I hope you took the grass out of the glove compartment. Now, there's a lot of information in that one. Yeah. The grass, that kind of gives you an idea of what time it was. It's probably not a super recent movie. Uh-huh. And obviously, you know, like, you know, movies from like the 50s wouldn't even mention that at all, I don't think. Right. So I'm guessing 70s or early 80s. And a tracker. That is, that is a very good guess, by the way. So in a tracker... The tracker also was a very good clue. So what what movies would have a tracker in it? And they went to a bar pickup truck. A tracker. Did you find your movie yet? Yeah, oh yeah, I got it. Um, Give me two clues. Fuck. Uh, Okay, I'm going to have to come back to that one. All right, let me look at some of these. Uh... Oh no, that's two. That'll give it away. Um, okay, well here's the most here's the most vague thing ever under drugs, alcohol, and smoking. A little bit of drinking, nothing graphic. <laughs> All right, go ahead, go ahead, give me your clue. That's terrible. Okay, um, let's see. No, that's that'll give it away. Wait, should we also guess after each round of clues? Yeah, we can. So we're also eliminating some possibilities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Make a guess. Right. After the first one, I'm going to guess the original Ocean's Eleven. But nope. No, that's not true because it said very little drinking. Right. But no, yeah, that's n- neither of the Ocean's Elevens. Um, oh, man. Wow. Okay. Uh, uh, you're going to get it on the second one. <laughs> I know. Because these are all... The rest of them on here kind of, um, okay, maybe not this one. <laughs> maybe you won't get on this one, but you might. It, uh, 
it, it includes a couple lines of the mo- in the movie. So oh, yeah, this is nice. profanity. Eight F-words and other strong language. During the attack on the main character, uh, main character's wife, yeah, one feel free to feel free to remove you know identifying information as needed. Like you can say the city instead of like Las Vegas, you know. Right. During the attack on the main character's wife, one of the thugs refers to her as a rich cunt. This is a Death Wish show one, I believe. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the other ones were a graphic scene wherein a group of thugs torments and then rapes a woman and her adult daughter. Um. Yes. So, and then the other one is the violence is pretty intense, in particular the assault of the mother and daughter. And how about this? For the sake of fairness, and since we'll probably want to tie more off than that, I'll give you the most obvious clue from the uh, the series. Like, you know, the next per- like if you guess, the next person has to give the most obvious clue so the other person can also tie and will be undefeated. Okay. All right, hold on. There's some really obvious ones on this one. Just a second. Number five shoots the belt buckle off of Stephanie's ex-boyfriend and his jeans drop, exposing his box. <laughs> Short circuits. Yes. That's awesome. There's a lot of really, really easy ones in this one. Like, uh, Stephanie, you see in the tub, there's no nudity, but number five comments about her nice software. <laughs> yeah, I remember that scene very well. Nice software. Uh, and, I, and I completely forgot that Fisher Stevens just plays like a guy from India and no one like, cares. Yep. No one cares at all. No, no one even mentions it. Oh my god, this is the greatest segment ever. We need to do this every <laughs> week. Okay. Um. Yeah, I love it. So, uh, massive late fee history here. Uh, you a little behind the scenes on how Mike and I do things. <laughs> all right. So, I'm writing game, that. It's called the game of games, and we're tied currently. Yep. All right, I've got it. Uh, I've got it down now as something we can do every week. Uh, so now we will move on to another favorite segment of our, you know, ever-growing fan base or whatever. Um, keeping current with Mike, this is where we scour the internet for the celebrity stories that Mike and I don't understand at all, and we try to figure them out. So, uh, Mike, where are we going? with keeping current this week uh again i'm completely out of ideas for like you know actual gossip sites went to the most you know popular ones again and take took me to something called media takeout are you familiar with uh media takeout Mark? no i have never heard of them yeah, i had neither but um it's it's like the fifth most popular or maybe top 10 and here's what it, it describes itself as MTO News. The website is mtonews.com, so it's just abbreviated. Is that media takeout like like takeout food? Like this is uh, uh this goes I, down easy, or is it I, uh we're gonna take out the media? I'm not really sure. Um, because it, it just says MTO News and then it says the most visited African American news network. So Maybe it started off as like something called media takeout, and then they because it just says MTO that implies that they don't really care about the original name that much, right? Yeah, I, I mean, that shows you how much I know about gossip. This is like one of the top top fifteen sites I've never once heard of it in my whole life. All right, I got Google ready because I know I'm not going to know anything. All right, this is another. This is a familiar name because we've done something like this before. This headline is. Atlanta housewife Nini leaks Nini leaks fire shots at Porsche exclamation exclamation 
Okay, so is this the one that, you know, people were embarrassed over her thirst? I think so. But you know what I just realized? I did this earlier when I opened the site up. Mimi Leaks, I thought that was a person's name. And the reason I think so, well, I, I, it's a person's name, but I thought it was like saying Mimi Leaks, like a story. Like both times I thought I, I misread it, like in my mind and out loud, because I thought they were saying she like leaks a story, but that's her last name is Leaks, L-E-A-K-E. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I she's on um, that Atlanta show, right? Yeah, that's what it is, uh, Atlanta Housewives, so it must be Real Housewives of Atlanta. Which, again, I think I think T.I.'s wife might be on this, but I might be wrong. So she shot a Porsche. No, she fires shots at Porsche. I don't think they're being literal, though. Oh, 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 so Porsche's another person, not a car. Yes, no, no, Porsche, yeah. Okay, but so... P-O-R-S-H-A, not P-O-R-S-C-H-E. Gotcha. So I, uh, yeah, I thought that, uh, I thought that, um, she was shooting a car. No. Well, that's, uh, I guess, I, I wonder what the shots fired are, but I really don't care, too. Yeah, I don't really care that much either. <laughs> um, the next headline, uh, and I'm not going in order, I'm just finding ones that are, you know, not completely boring. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one is Harvard grad Sierra is getting dragged for poor spelling. Exclam- There's two exclamations. I don't know why you wouldn't just use one or three, two, whatever. Yeah, that that's a grammatical um, error right there. Yeah, I know. I know a lot about this. Um, I know that Sierra is like a musician, and I know she's currently. Uh, I don't know if she's married to Russell Wilson of the Seattle Seahawks. I think I mostly know about her because it's a sports-related story. Okay. Um, I didn't realize she went to Harvard. I mean, if she did, she pro- I assume she must have gone for, like, you know, theater or something like that, because I would think any person who got into the regular non-theater like theater part of Harvard could spell something correctly. I mean, it doesn't seem like a very difficult thing. Yeah. And I don't think calling somebody out for poor spelling is dragging them. I mean, if you're, you know, just putting your poor spelling out there, you should feel free to be criticized, because you should know how to spell words. I mean, there's there's programs that check spelling for you. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know how grammar is so bad on the internet when there are so many grammar programs. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Sierra Princess Harris, born in Austin, Texas on October 25th, right around our birthdays, 1985. The only child of Jackie and Carlton Harris. Hey, I wonder if uh, Carlton from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air was based on that. Probably. She she was an army brat, grew up in Germany, New York, Utah, California, Arizona, and Nevada. That had to be fun being a black person in Utah. Right. <laughs> you See, know all the other ones by their first name, at least. Right. Sierra's parents are both African Americans. Sierra has some Irish ancestry uh, from her mother's background, but there's citation needed there, so <laughs> who knows. Someone on time, people just hear like interviews with people and they just add, you know, to Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. So she was probably interviewed and said, like, oh, my, I have some Irish here. Yeah. In her mid teens, she formed an all girl group, Hearsay, with two of her friends. The group recorded Never demos, heard. but as time went on, they began to have differences and eventually parted ways. Despite this setback, you mean. Okay, so the set... So you're 15 and your your musical group breaks up and it's a setback? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a hell of a setback in your career. Tell, tell that to the guys in Weasel Face. Right. Sierra was still determined to reach her goal and signed a publishing deal as a songwriter. 
Okay. Uh, so she write she wrote uh, "Got Me Waiting," uh, and uh, on the debut album "Free Yourself." Blah blah blah. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I've never heard any of your music, but there used to be like this, like that's what I call music kind of thing, where everything oh, yeah. was like Sierra, Chris Brown, yeah, Chris Brown and Sierra. And they visited, it kept switching between the two. And then it was Chris Brown featuring Sierra, or the reverse of that, and it was like the funniest thing ever. Yeah, she was Grandma's Boy though. I, I found her very attractive in Grandma's Boy, and uh, and nothing else. Apparently, her alter ego is Super C, so she is the sequel to Contra. <laughs> <laughs> Super Contra. Well, the C doesn't stand for Contra. Right. Uh, let's see. Super C doesn't hold back, she says. That's true. It is much harder than the original Contra. Um, she is yeah, definitely is. aggressive. Yeah. But yeah, so whatever. She can't spell. Sorry. Yeah. I'm... I, uh, I don't feel bad for you. No, I don't either. Drag her. Go ahead and drag her. Whatever the, the hell that drag. means. It's a dumb fucking word. Yeah. You know, it's like, ooh, that's basically you're shitting on someone. Just say shit against someone. That's the thing that I find uh, that I hate the most when we do this segment is yeah. uh, the yeah. stupid slang like thirst and drag. Yeah, or my, the worst one might be clapback. It's like, no, that's a response. You, I almost said a word that you're not allowed to say in 2019. <laughs> it wasn't racist. It was making fun of a mentally challenged. Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just dumb. Yeah, she is married to Russell Wilson since 2016. Yeah, and he was a virgin until they were married, which is kind of hilarious. It is very funny. <laughs> and she wasn't because she, she brought a, a child to the relationship, so. Well, you know, I don't know. I, uh, I, I do remember reading that about Russell Wilson, that he wanted to wait until he was married. Always the best decision. The first man ever to do so. Right. Uh, maybe the first NFL player ever to do so. Uh, I think you're for sure correct. Oh, no, uh, Tim Tebow technically played in the NFL. Yeah, that's that's true. You know, for a, a minute or two. He quote-unquote played. <laughs> Seven yards passing, uh, you know, uh, 45 yards rushing. They still won the game somehow. It, don't worry, he's going to be a pro baseball player now. Yep. Oh, yeah. Oh, hold on a second. <laughs> Mike is being murdered uh, in his remote location. Don't worry, everyone. That wasn't that wasn't a uh, earthquake or uh, you know uh, ICBMs falling on Mike. He's okay. Yeah, I'm in the garage and the door just ra- sometimes randomly opens and he just starting doing it. I'm like, oh my god. Ah. <laughs> uh, oh, all right. All right the, next, the next story is really bizarre for a lot of reasons. Okay. And, and it says, Rihanna's net worth passes and passes in all caps, Beyonce. And it says, did Jay-Z marry wrong one? Three question marks. <laughs> they are, they are uh, big on selling the emotion that they want you to feel. <laughs> First of all, I like, the, I like that they just imply that, uh, <laughs> that Jay-Z should have married for money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He just recently, like this week, they said he was like the first, you know, official hip hop billionaire. Mm-hmm. Like he's really like, oh, I have to marry for money. I don't think billionaires have to marry for money. Exactly. Yeah, according to this, Rihanna's net worth is six hundred million dollars. I don't see how. I would think I would think that Beyonce would have more money than she would. 
I mean, I thought around longer. I thought everyone loved Beyonce. Oh, I don't. I don't have any opinion of her either way because I don't think um, she's anything. I don't think she's anything special. Like her music doesn't seem any better or you know different than any other generic like pop star. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I mean, okay. I so here's the thing. Oh, okay. I guess Beyonce has an estimated net worth of three hundred and fifty-five million dollars. But together, they have an estimated net worth of one billion. Or no, okay. So I guess Jay Z's net worth is one billion, and hers is three hundred and fifty-five million. Is he her manager, or is like is she part of his record label or something? Because I, I feel like uh, she's getting screwed over a little bit. I, I don't, I don't know that she's as prolific and doesn't sell as much as Jay Z has a lot of different ventures. Mm-hmm. Like he, you know, he owns he owns the record company he's on. You know, he's not the only successful artist from it. He has a uh, champagne company. You know, he's he's got a lot of. So here's a question. If if Beyonce and Jay-Z took Rihanna out to dinner and Jay-Z picked up the tab, would Rihanna have to say thank you to both Jay-Z and Beyonce (laughs) or just Jay-Z? Probably both. Yeah, I would think so. Although it's... at the same time, she's on his label, so he's making a lot of the money she's making, he's making off of her as well. So he's probably making like a multiple of what she actually makes off of her. Right, that's true. So, it, it, I mean, it is their money. Yeah, so maybe he could just, she would just say to him because he's also technically her boss. <laughs> she's still on, uh, you know, the same label. Uh, what's their the kid's name? Is, he, and the mess up thing is he could write the entire thing off. Oh, yeah, for sure. Their kid's name is Blue Ivy or something like that? They're, yeah, I think they have twins, too, but I'm not really sure. And Ivy is... Oh, we need to do an episode or talk to the skeptical skeptics on this. There's a weird thing with Jay-Z. Like, it's like the whole... I, I've talked about this before. It's like the Aliaster Crowley thing, the Tolima or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he's got an obsession with the number four. Like, his daughter's name is Ivy, which is a Roman numeral for four. Okay. Like, if you just look up his... And there's, like, this video he does, and, like, right at 444, this thing comes up. He's, it's just a weird obsession with the number four he has for some reason. It, it's really interesting. Yeah, we definitely need to get the skeptical skeptics in on that. I'm just looking at pictures of Jay-Z and Beyonce together. God, I don't care about these people. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't believe that much either. I mean, good for them. Like, you know, I'm glad that they did that they did well in life. And... Uh, you know, they don't have to worry about money anymore. I hope they care about each other and they're good parents. But um, I don't know. Like, it's just, to me, see, I know a lot of people are, like, obsessed with celebrity stuff. To me, when I see pictures of celebrities, it's like just seeing pictures of strangers. I don't, I, like, you know what I mean? Like, that's the emotional connection that I would have uh, with it is just seeing pictures of any random people. Yeah, I just don't really, I'm, I'm not... I mean, there's some that I, I'm more fond of just because they're in a lot of stuff I like. But mm-hmm. yeah, I'm not a big, I mean, even though we do a entertainment podcast, I'm not a big fan of entertainment in general. Yeah. Like, uh, for instance, one of the ones that like I'll feel, and I think this is a little bit different, like Kurt Vonnegut, the late Kurt Vonnegut. But I feel like when you read someone's writing, that's a much more personal connection than watching a movie, in my yeah, opinion. Does- it does feel more intimate, especially like someone like Vonnegut who would often like incorporate his real life into his work or like even like, you know, I think authors are probably the most, you know, you're most likely to feel something for because it's just like there's like a it seems like a more like, you know, um, sort of thinking of more intimate 
type connection. Yeah, I agree. Whereas most, like a lot of other artists, clearly just being, you know, tried to be tweaked to, like, you know, elicit the biggest response. Yep. We will never do that on this podcast. We don't give a shit what you think. We do this we for really us. Don't. If you like it, good. If you don't, well, there's plenty of podcasts out there. Absolutely. Yeah. There's about 7 billion people on the internet, and about half of them have a podcast. So, yeah, I think, I think, and I think half of that are all on my Twitter feed. Yeah, I bet. I can't imagine what yours looks like. <laughs> oh yeah, they're all over the place, but I love most of them. Yeah, not so much. <laughs> all right, one last story um, is Ja Rule says he's going to do another festival, Firefest Two Point Question mark. <laughs> Only one question mark. Yeah, which is odd, but there's a semicolon, so that's kind of that's kind of cool. Interesting. So I noticed the next story also has a semicolon. So they must get, be on a kick there. Yeah, someone uh, someone finally realized that semicolons were uh, good things to use in titles. Yeah, Ja Rule, his his net worth is estimated at only eight million. Oh man, that's, that's a lot. If I were a uh, doctor uh, specializing in uh, in guessing by breath, by, <laughs> guessing by breath, <laughs> surgery, uh, I'd call my company semicolon. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, that's funny. Hell of a logo. Oh. <laughs> Jeffrey Bruce Atkins, better known by his stage name, Ja Rule. You ever notice like a lot of uh, rappers have like the lamest names? Yeah, exactly. Like, their real names. Like uh, what Snoop Dogg is, Calvin Broditz. That's like the lamest name ever. Yeah. What's up, Calvin? I think Dr. Dre is Andre Jackson. Andre Johnson, I think. Johnson. There you go. Um, I just watched Straight Outta Compton yesterday with my wife. In uh, 50 Cent, Ja Rule's longtime rival is uh, Curtis Jackson. That's like the lamest name ever. Yeah. Yeah, it's so weird. Like, they just, it's just such, like, bland names. You can tell their parents had such high hopes for them. <laughs> you don't even like Curtis and expect them to, you know, to not be something. Exactly. Like a challenge built into the name. Oh, yeah. So uh, I think both of us watched that Firefest uh, documentary. Yeah, there were two. I watched. I watched one of them. I don't remember which one I watched. But yeah, Jar Rule comes up as a real piece of shit in the, <laughs> in the documentary. Yeah, and yeah. really just in general. Apparently, he was raised as a Jehovah's Witness. That makes sense. But now he identifies as a Christian. He became a Christian in 2013 while promoting the movie. <laughs> I'm in love with a church girl. What? <laughs> I expected Fast or Furious to, be, Furious to be the title of that movie. He he became a Christian while promoting a movie. Well, that is that shows a deep relationship with Jesus, I guess. So, uh, when does this movie come out? Uh, August 30th, and... Uh... Do you accept Jesus Christ into your life and heart? Yeah, I do, kind of. <laughs> How uh, will that will that raise the proceeds of this film? Oh, most definitely. Then yes, oh. yes, absolutely. If I were him, I would have switched from being a Jehovah's Witness as soon as possible. It just sounds so exhausting. Oh my God, I'm in <laughs> love with a church girl. This is what I should have done for uh, educating Mike. <laughs> 
Wealthy drug dealer Miles Montego meets a nice Christian girl, Vanessa Leon, at a mutual friend's house. What mutual friend does a wealthy drug dealer and a nice Christian girl have? I don't know. Oh, my God. Critical reception. The film has been panned by critics. It holds a 6% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Jeez, that's really bad. Oh my god. Christian response. The film has had a slightly more positive reception among Christian publications. Yeah, that, you, that doesn't that doesn't mean anything. It it you know, it's so dumb too. Christians. Look, we all know that Christians love Christ. It's right in the name. So, you don't you don't have to continue to try to prove it by liking horrible films just because they're Christian movies. You ever uh, notice that uh, adding the adjective Christian to anything just makes it worse? Yes, absolutely. Like Christian rock? I mean, who wants to go see that? Christian rock. It's like or, uh, uh, it's like an oxymoron. movies, like uh, the Left Behind movies with mm-hmm. uh, Kirk Cameron. I think they only were able to make two, but oh my God, were they bad. You ever had a Christian cookie? No good. No sugar. Probably. Tastes like Jesus' tears. Jeez. Even the wine at church isn't that great. No, no, it really isn't. I mean, I wonder if, uh, like, uh, you know, different churches get, like, the better stuff. Right. Do you think the Pope drinks that same shitty wine? (laughs) I would think he'd get a nice, uh, like, Chablis or something like that. I hope he would get, like, a nice piece of bread with, like, a crust to it instead of those wafers, you know? Yeah. I mean, come on. I know it's the body of Christ, but, uh, you know, the guy... I know the guy was thin and everything, but, you know, you you can you can add a little meat on those bones, if you know what I mean. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's keeping current with, uh, with Mike for this week, because I don't care about the rest of these stories. It's also clap back at Christianity. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, Mark drags Christianity on this episode of Bass <laughs> Yeah, I can't. I want us to be in uh, Bossip or something like that with <laughs> oh, the that. with that with that headline. Anyone from Bossip, if you're listening, and you, and you make a headline next week that uh, massive late fee drags Christianity, then <laughs> I will I will I will send you five hundred dollars. Mark clapbacks at Jesus. Oh God. So, speaking of clapping back at Jesus, uh, some of the some of the people uh, really wanted to do that in uh, the the TV show that we're reviewing, a uh, streaming show on Amazon called Good Omens, starring Michael Sheen and David Tennant. I love David Tennant, by the way. Uh, he was in the first season, the only good season of Jessica Jones. And apparently he was also on Doctor Who, which I don't yeah, I, watch. Yeah, I knew that somehow, and I'm not... Who is... Is he the one who plays uh, Crowley? Yes. Yeah, that's what I figured. And the other... I, the, I don't even know the other guy. Okay, um, the other guy's name's Azri... I, I don't remember his name even. It's hard to remember. Ezrafel or something like that? Something like that. Yeah, Mike, Michael Sheehan, who's in the Twilight movies. Uh, he was also in Frost Nixon... He played uh, David Frost. He played Frost. <laughs> he played Jack Frost. Uh, he played verses. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
but he's uh, he's an interesting uh, dude. He's been in a lot of different uh, different things. Apparently, he's Welsh, so it's yeah. kind of a miracle we can understand what he says. It really is. Not like that uh, princess amongst uh, human beings, uh, Josie uh, Lawrence. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, she speaks the Queen's English, not fucking Welsh. No offense, Michael Sheen. Yeah, I, 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 I still enjoy your work. But anyway, so Good Omens. We watched episode one, and we'll be going week by week for the six weeks that they have episodes out. So episode one, um, Mike, what were your initial thoughts? Uh, or, you know, what are your initial thoughts on the uh, on the episode uh, in general? Uh, first, a little background. Um, I'm a I'm a big Neil Gaiman, Gaiman fan. I like uh, American Gods, the books at least a lot. I don't like the series as much anymore. It's not that good. Mm-hmm. Um, I've read a little bit of the Sandman comics. They seem interesting. You know, he's he's like an author who I generally like. Um, so he wrote this book with a, a famed science fiction author, Terry Pratchett, who I've heard nothing but good things about his work. I just haven't read any of them yet. Yep. Uh, they wrote it back in 1990, I believe. So it was Neil Gaiman, you know, and both pretty famous and quite prolific authors. Uh, they wrote this book together. Uh, it's about the end of the world, and they've tried to adapt it forever. I mean, it's like they've uh, people keep constantly want this to be a uh, a movie or, a, you know, in this case, a TV series. Mm-hmm. Uh, Terry Pratchett passed away from Alzheimer's, I believe, in 2015. And so supposedly uh, he, he told Neil Gaiman, uh, you know, before he passed that the only way he wants this to be done is if Neil Gaiman is like the, you know, in charge. So Neil Gaiman is actually the sh- like the executive producer slash showrunner, which mm-hmm. I, I hate the fact that I know what that word is. I just hate that, like, everyone's so familiar with media and TV and stuff that, they, that even I know what a show, that's just, uh, yeah. I can't even tell you how much that annoys and angers me. Yep. Or that I even know who the showrunners are on various shows. It's, oh, why do I know that? I, that's more that I need to know about any of this. The only one that I that I really know is um, Vince Gilligan. Yeah, well, Dan Harmon as well on the uh, oh yeah TV show community. Yep, and then the guy from uh, I can't remember his name, so I, mean, I guess I don't know. Him, but I'll, if I hear it, I'll I'll recognize it. It's the guy who did uh, Arrested Development. Oh, Tim uh, Krieg maybe. Oh yeah, for some Krieg, but it could be for wrong. some reason I was thinking something Hurwitz. I'm not sure. You might be right, but yeah, uh, yeah I don't know. Yeah, I, I hate that. I have to. I hate that I'm so familiar with media that I know that. But regardless, um, so it's basically the story of the end of the world. Yep. Um, and and the very first thing you notice, especially from the previews, is this is a very like the, I don't know if it's set in the '90s. I, I actually I can almost guarantee it's not because of some of the technology displayed, but the characters are very, very much dressing as what you might think a cool person would look like in the 1990s. The yeah. The early 1990s. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, it's, it's kind of funny. It's like the, the uh, Neil Gaiman aesthetic from, like, Sandman and that kind of stuff where you know, there's a lot of trench coats and, like, round glasses, you know, people speaking in low, growly tones. Mm-hmm. I mean, it still works. I mean, it starts off at the uh, the very beginning. Uh, we hear the voice of uh, of God, which, you know, again, we can tell it's an irreverent, you know, take on creationism and Christianity right away because uh, – and, by the way, that doesn't mean this is a bad thing just because it's associated with Christianity. I'm like, uh, you know – Jars of Clay or whatever those fucking bands Mark you <laughs> Correct. It was sixpence none the richer. Yeah, I don't know. But I mean, it's it's just like, a, it's you know, it's two, uh, two, two famed authors in their spin on the end of the world. Yep. So it, it takes place at the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. Or actually, it takes place a bit before that where there's like a, 
a history that's entire you know definitely tongue-in-cheek it definitely sets a tone where they're talking about you know it's like a, a woman's voice it's francis mcdormand actually i believe yes um, it is you know the the famed actor of fargo fame mm-hmm. um she's uh she plays the voice of god and i didn't know that i would have known that if i didn't have a subtitles on which i always have on it said voice of god so i was like okay clearly she's god you know i mean it's it could have been a narrator but at that point you're kind of unsure so she she basically tells tells the story of you know how some people think that the world was you know the galaxy universe was created 14 billion years ago and then some people say it's 1400 years ago and then she goes Oh, it was 1400 years ago, but it's slightly off by a few hours. So it's like, you know, actually like a tongue in cheek take on, you know, everything. Like, Right. Yeah. This Christian philosopher got it right. Kind of, but he was off by like an hour and 40 minutes. Yeah. Which is like insane because it was like October 21st. Because Just how could you start it in October? I I don't know, but whatever. (laughs) Yeah. If you're going to start a universe, why October? I mean, you know, the spring months, I think creation, you know, I think that makes more sense. Um, unless God is an Australian and it's warm down there. That's true. If you recall those uh, those Yahoo serious commercials from the 90s, when it's winter here, it's summer there. That's right. Absolutely. You know, that's true. God probably is a fan of the Southern Hemisphere. Well, it makes sense because Australia seems like a great place to live. Absolutely. But yeah, so it's uh, it's it starts up then, and you know we we see that they're in the Garden of Eden. There's uh, two uh, two people, you know, one of them eats a fruit, and they kind of go off into the uh, distance. You see the man, obviously Adam, is uh, carrying a flaming sword. Yeah, and it cuts to uh, and I'm never gonna get this name right. Uh, I know the one I almost say Crowley every time, but it's Crowley. Yeah, Crowley maybe I don't know. No, it's 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 Crowley. Um, so I'm thinking that since I'm not British, that's probably how you pronounce Aliester Crowley's name. Like he's probably Crowley. But then, then again, the uh, Black Sabbath song would say it's Mr. Crowley, or is that a that's an Ozzy Osbourne song? But he says Crowley instead of Crowley, and I would assume Ozzy Osbourne would know how to pronounce his name. Yeah, it's weird because my wife watches Supernatural, and there is a demon whose name is Crowley on that show as well. He actually becomes the King of Hell, so. I would assume, you know, obviously this this was written before Supernatural. I was going to say your wife watches this, but you have such an intimate knowledge that you know he becomes a king of hell. Well, that's... My wife. I know what she tells me. I, I watch episodes with her, and, and Carol, um, just so you know, the, the new season... Ask me a message, our newest segment. The new season of uh, Supernatural is coming to to netflix in a a month i think just so you know but uh anyway uh i watch episodes with her every once in a while but i don't watch like she watches it a lot when when we're doing this or i'm doing something else um i started to watch that but i I got like maybe a season into it it just wasn't for me i can't i can't get into it every once in a while i'll i'll see an episode that you know she's watching or i'm watching with her that i'm like okay this is okay but i just the overall arc of it and it's too much time to devote like i don't want to i don't want to try to get into it and then have to watch 15 seasons of it there are like 15 and there's like 20 episodes a season or something like that it's like one of those yeah. like old school like network shows where each season has like 20 yep absolutely but yeah i assume that you're right that it, that both those names are um are uh you know homages to uh alistair crawley i would think yeah, I, I don't really know. But regardless, they're kind of sitting there and talking about, like, you know, the nature of, like, human beings and, like, 
and in the meantime, we see kind of like a funny like montage of like the uh, Adam with like his flaming sword trying to fight a lion. It's just like it's a really weird like thing in the background. Yeah, because he asks him, Crowley asks uh, Elastrophil or however you spell his name. I'm just gonna call him uh, A or Michael Sheen, one of the two. There you go. Um, but he asks Michael Sheen, uh, you know, where's your flaming sword? Didn't you have a flaming sword? And he's like, uh, you know, I gave it to to him. And um, he's like, oh, I wonder if that was the wrong thing to do. And Crowley goes, oh, you couldn't do the wrong thing if you tried. You know, you're an angel. Like, uh, I'm a demon. Right. You know, I, I I do the bad things. That's why I tempted them with the apple. And then he, he brings up a very interesting idea and says, wouldn't it be funny if we both did the wrong thing? Where, like, me me showing them about the, the, the tree of knowledge, like, that was the right thing to do. And you giving him the flaming sword, that was the wrong thing to do. Right. But yeah, so he starts attacking that lion. That's that's pretty funny. Just a lion in the desert. This whole opening scene just like sets a tone. You can tell it's like already it's like you know irreverent. It's funny. It's clever. You know, it's, it, I was pretty happy by the time I saw it. It seemed like I have a feeling this is going to be a good show to watch. Yep. So we cut to and this takes place eleven years before the start of the series. Um, it's well, actually you know it shows him driving and then it kind of cuts back because so eleven years late, earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're at a uh, there's a it's a convent. I think uh, you know you're you're more familiar with this terminology than I. Is that where they're at a convent or is it just like a hospital that's run by nuns? Um, yeah, I think it's a it's yeah it would be it would be a convent, um, but they have a uh, like a medical center to it i mean obviously it's it's in rural england so anyone that hasn't seen the show just to kind of give you um kind of like set the scene for you it's obviously very very uh, provincial but yeah they're they're an order of nuns so they live uh together in this convent but they're also trained uh in nursing and childbirth it's yeah it's a very like kind of night like all of it is sort of like a 1950s uh kind of feel but that's not when it takes place yeah even that i think is like a more like a like a probably i didn't read the book that probably happens in the book and that would make more sense happening in like 1979 than 1990 yeah or in our case it's supposedly in 2008 which sounds completely ridiculous (laughs) yeah exactly but yeah so they go they're going uh it there are well, the first ones we see um, is the parents of just like normal uh, parents. They're they're English, and she's going into labor, and she's kind of freaking out a little bit. So is he. And then we see they get passed by an ambulance, and uh, in that in the back of that ambulance is the um, the mother of you know one of these babies that's going to be born. Yeah. And she's the wife of an ambassador uh, to, I guess he's supposed to be an ambassador to England, but he's in Washington right now with the president and yeah. someone's doing a passable George W. Bush impersonation yeah, uh, behind pretty, him. I, I think it was, it, it, see, I don't, again, if it's 11 years ago, which is funny because it's 11 years ago, it should have been a George, you know, W. Bush. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's, I keep thinking this thing's in the 90s. So I, I keep thinking it's George Bush, the first one. Yeah, I think it was supposed to be W. Bush. Um, you know, eleven years ago would yeah, be two thousand eight, so it'd be, I guess, right yeah. at the end of his presidency. Yeah, and it seems like a more jovial type, you know, 
Bush, which W is more the, you know, funny, like, joking guy. Right. Yeah, for sure. But, yeah, so they... Uh, yeah, they... The, the ambassador, I, I, I only was able to tell by the voice at first. It was played by Nick Offerman. I wonder if he's going to have, like, a bigger role in this series. Because he's only in this for, like, maybe two minutes total. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 it'll be interesting to see going forward if he has a, a bigger a bigger role or not. But yeah, uh, Nick Hofferman plays the ambassador and he's like, you know, like he's, he's the, you know, not really, um, not really, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, yeah, not really present dad where he's just kind of like, Oh yeah. You know, uh, go ahead, honey. It's good. You know, it's like his first child too. And he's like, you know, in the middle of like a meeting, and they're, they they mention it, they're watching it over like some weird video feed type thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so then like, and then they go cut to a sequence which kind of reminds me of the American Gods TV series, where it's like, like a highly stylish explanation of, you know, how they would keep the baby. Actually, no, that's not correct. We uh we go to the nunnery again. The okay. Convent, maybe. Is, yep. is nunnery a thing? Yeah, you can say nunnery. Whatever. They go to this uh, place, uh, and um, you see the nuns are like gleefully talking about how the antichrist is coming to be born through their thing and then like it's you know on like a comedic type thing the mother superior mm-hmm. like slaps up like a picture of a demon next to like a, you know the mother and like oh they're all super excited and one of the nuns is told uh they kind of forget to give her an assignment during this they told her to get uh you know biscuits which is you know cookies in uh, america mm-hmm. then you know we keep cutting back and forth uh we see um I'm sorry crowley crowley's character He's talking. So he's he's a delivery man. He's uh, he's got the baby from hell. He's showing up in the convent. Yep. And there's a lot of cutting back and forth, and a lot of you know just funny like and stuff in general. And there's like the stylized like you know they're talking about how difficult it is and what people are thinking. You know, like how people is the whole thing is so far a lot of it's about misinterpretation. Yep. Because like the the nuns are are quite, they're basically say, you know they think that the other person is implying something that didn't happen. Yep. So the, you know it's actually kind of like a like a kind of a mystery. They, they, there's a good chance that the babies are switched up, as in the Antichrist went to the um like the the non ambassador couple, and like the ambassador couple got the uh, non Antichrist. Yep. Exactly. Um. Yeah. Because they. They wanted to put them there. I guess, you know, like... In... I wonder if that's a nod to the um, the Exorcist Part 3, I think it was, where, like, Damien becomes, like, the son of an ambassador or an ambassador. Yeah, I'm guessing so. And I, I think it's supposed to be, like, they want to put him where he's going to be in a position of power or something like yeah, that. Yeah, up wealthy, that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so they, the couple demons come from hell and they give Crowley this baby. They say, you know, it's, oh, it's your job to deliver it and everything. Because they love you so much in hell. Because apparently Crowley uh, tells them things that, he, like, he's responsible for things that he is not at all responsible for, but they don't check on him. Yeah, what's funny is he, he constantly tells them that he lies all the time. He Like, in the first thing he says to people, he's like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a liar, you know, I'm a demon. Mm-hmm. Or to quote Jason, uh, Jason Lee, I'm a fucking demon. Right, Exactly. But yeah, he tells them that he's responsible. He was responsible for World War Two and uh, something else. I can't remember what. And uh, he's like, well, you know, uh, um, you know, wh- what is it? My fault that the humans got to it first. So it's basically like we're a lot of the, our problems. It kind of, you know, implies what, you know, rightly so that a lot of our problems we're just responsible for ourselves. Right. Um, but I love too. Uh, when, um, you know, he's like, he, he, he clearly doesn't want 
Armageddon to happen because right. he yeah, likes he living. Both, yeah, they they really enjoy like the human experiment and like uh they even like you know there's a lot of fun. I really like the the pairing for the actors. They really play off each other really well. Absolutely, yeah. That's like, probably the of, strength of the whole show. Yeah, I mean, uh, so I mean, so far I don't have any issues with it at all. But I'm um, like they show like a. Uh, Michael Sheen's character uh, as a Holly, maybe I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. He's like in Japan eating sushi, and like the guy, like the the guy behind the counter, obviously knows him, and he's happy to see him. And they both like are having a throat, like they both love humanity, which mm-hmm. is like you know kind of like the theme, like you know they're in love with humanity, and they they're the two. And then so they kind of get they for some reason I don't remember how, but they kind of catch on to the idea that maybe the babies were switched. Yeah, and so like. uh Michael Sheen's character like keeps getting like wacky jobs as like a gardener and like so he the one that they're the the diplomat's child who is being raised in England I don't remember what happened there did the mom marry someone else I really don't recall no I think I I think they're still married they don't really show the parents at all but yeah, I don't um see Nick Offerman's character at all at that point so I thought but like uh I thought they switched them but maybe not but yeah they keep showing like uh the the good the the angel keeps showing up and kind of trying to like you know show the boy to be nice like he goes like he goes to the other one he's like oh what should i he's like oh yeah destroy all your enemies he's like oh he said i show mercy and that kind of stuff so yeah they both, you know, kind of try to influence yeah they what they come up with because they they kind of talk about it and they're like you know we don't neither one of us want armageddon to happen it's clear that they've been friends since the beginning yeah, of, yeah, of they, everything uh, yeah for sure like they you know are at least friendly rivals in war. so like you know um David Tennant's character comes up with the idea that, you know, he's going to, he's the Antichrist, but what he does is going to kind of be influenced by what his, it, it's like the nature versus nurture yeah, thing almost. That, yeah, it's, it's for sure that, like, you know, they're saying, well, maybe he's born the Antichrist, but, you know, we'll, we'll make him, you know, grow up to be a nice kid. That's Yeah, so they figure if, if one of them is an evil influence on him, David Tennant, the demon, well, you know, obviously, and the other one, the angel, is a good influence on him, he'll grow up just normal. He won't be a good person, he won't be a bad person, he'll just be a normal person, and he won't destroy the world. That's their plan. But, obviously, the entire time, they're with the wrong kid. So, uh, you know, that's what, like, the David Tennant becomes the nanny, and he's like, you know, like re- gardener and he's a magician. <laughs> yep. Um, so it's his, what is it? It's his 11th birthday. Yeah. The big date is his 11th birthday. They talked it up as when he turns 11, which is weird. I don't know why they came up with that number, but whatever. Yeah. You would think, you know, to go with more, more like biblical. I mean, I, I wonder really why they chose that age. Cause you think like, you know, even going with like biblical history, 13 is like when you become a man, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, something like that. Yeah, but uh, he needs to get this uh, this demon dog that once he see once he sees it and names it, it'll help him conquer the world and like bring upon our game. Yep. And so they're at his eleventh birthday, waiting for this dog to show up because they want to stop the dog from getting to him, so he can't you know fulfill his his full potential. Yeah, and well, they're hoping that if he na- they want to see what he names the dog because that'll have a big influence as to what actually the dog does for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so the dog doesn't show up, and I guess like like they they get in the car and they're like wrong. They both say at the same time, wrong kid. So it's like they know that somehow this got messed up because the the dog didn't show up. Meanwhile, the the kid that we haven't seen at all, whose name whose name is Adam. They, that's that's the other thing too. 
the nuns are suggesting names for the kids. Yeah, that was a great scene. And they're like Damien or, uh, you know, stuff like that. And uh, Warlock, I think. And I think the one was named Warlock. Yeah, the, uh, <laughs> the ambassador's kid is named Warlock. <laughs> Even though they, they were going to name him after, you know, him, like, you know, the fourth in line in generation. Right. But so we see at the kind of at the very end of the episode, we see Adam, uh, you know, the actual Antichrist playing with his friends. He seems like a normal enough kid. Um, this dog uh, starts to about how he always wanted a dog and he's describing the traits of it and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And this dog is this, this like giant dog is running towards him. And he's like, uh, he's like, no, nah, I don't want a big dog. I want a small dog. And he kind of stops like, what? You know, and uh, yeah, he describes all the things. And they say, so what would you name the dog? And as you pointed out, it's like a big thing. And um, he he thinks about it for a second. He's like, probably just dog. <laughs> <laughs> so th- there's not much to get out of that. Actually, I think there is. I think we're going to find out that, you know, since dog is God backwards, that's going to come up at some point. Oh, yeah, that's that, that is a good point. Um. But yeah, so the dog turns into a small little uh, dog that, like, he wants. It's a, I think it's a beagle, right? Something like that. So you know, it runs to him, and and he's like, oh, you know, I got this dog and everything, and uh, you know, that dog's supposed to help him come into his powers, and that's kind of where the episode uh, ends. A lot of the episode was sort of, you know, necessarily background information, uh, you know, kind of getting to know some of the characters. I would assume in episode two, we'll get to know uh, Adam a lot better, uh, you know, the Antichrist, um, and, uh, you know, like, see what happens there. But I am, uh, like you, I was pretty, pretty um, happy with this episode, and I feel like the show is going to get even better from here. That's kind of how, that's kind of how I see it. I, I think, like you said, uh, with the, you know, dog being God backwards and, and things like that. I think a lot of things that were said or brought up in this episode are going to really tie in and, and come back and play, uh, you know, with other revelations later on. And, uh, I, yep. Guys, you know, revelations. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> unintentional, uh, unintentional comedy on Massive Light Feet. That should, claps back at uh, Revelations. That should be our tagline, unintentional comedy, massive light fee. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was really happy with the episode. I uh, I think that this is going to be a good one, and I am excited to to watch the second one. Yeah, I'm happy that it's only six episodes. Yep, six. Because it seems like it's like that seems like a number that's just chosen. It's like a it's like a fuck you number. It's like oh, we're gonna have you know six episodes. It's like. We're going to do exactly what we want, not too much, not too little. That's how long it takes to tell this. And since Neil Diamond's involved, and he's like, you know, the executive producer and showrunner, if you will. Right. We know it's going to be, I, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a quality thing. You know, he's not going to make, he's going to be like a, plus he's thinking of his late friend, Terry Pratchett. You know, he wants to be a good tribute to him. It's just, I have nothing but high expectations for this. Yep. And one thing that really makes me happy on the Wikipedia page, number of episodes six, like you said, Number of seasons one. That's it. We're like, yeah. they're they're not doing a second season. There's there's not going to be any more of these. It's six episodes. It's just one thing. It's kind of the perfect way to tell 
I don't know. I haven't read the book, so I don't know how complicated I, I, the book I is. I bought it, but I lost. I never really got into it too much. Okay, but I like this. This to me is the perfect way to tell, especially a longer or more complicated book. This is the perfect way to do it. Don't try to cram it into a two-hour movie. Don't make me sit through five seasons of something. One season, like six, seven episodes, depending on the length of the I mean, book. It, they're they're an hour each, so it's like six, you know, six hours or so. You yeah, that would be a little longer, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, that's like the perfect amount of time. You know, it's like absolutely you, think you could tell just enough without you know going into demanding detail in six episodes. Especially, I mean, the author, you know, one of the one of the authors of it is mm-hmm. in charge too, and I don't think Neil Gaiman generally you know puts out crap. I mean, no offense to Stephen King, but a lot of stuff that Stephen King you know has done that has just been you know made into like shit. He like seems to have like you know like Sleepwalkers for example. Or, yeah. That or, or like you said earlier, the Mangler. You know, what I mean, I mean, how does he? How does it even happen? You know, he he's either involved to the level where he doesn't even care what happens with his work or he just like has a really terrible judgment of what will make a good show. Well, I know way back when in the, in the eighties and the nineties, uh, a lot, you like the eighties, right? Mark? (laughs) Yeah. I uh, read into him uh, this week at a concert. Did you? Yeah. Oh, Aaron Gay. Oh, it was actually Brett Gay. So oh, it was it Brett. Was his twin brother. Yeah. Yeah. Brett said it for some reason. No, it was it was it was Ron. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean, who? It, it, they're the same person essentially. If Brett and Aaron, if you guys are listening, um, I think you're the same person. Um, I, I disagree. I could uh, tell them apart actually, which for me with twins is very difficult. Like, I can't even tell my sister-in-law apart from her twin sister half the time. Oh, okay. Then I realized her twin sister has a mole. So I'm like, okay. And also their voices are very different. <laughs> I figured this out like last year, by the way. And also one's a different color. <laughs> no, it's just funny. But um but yeah, so uh I know back then they like he wasn't really involved. Like they people would would option his books for movies. They'd pay money and you know, they'd negotiate whatever it was, and then he'd say, he'd basically say, go make it. And he kind of got sick of how terrible they were. So he decided uh, a while ago, maybe 10 years ago or something like that, that he wasn't selling his the rights to his books anymore for, like, big money. He sells them for a dollar now, but, he, you know, in the contract, it specifies that he has to be a producer or involved in some way so that he can kind of oversee things. Um, I will say that Stephen King's my favorite author, but that doesn't necessarily mean, even though he's involved now, that the quality's gotten a lot better. <laughs> I would say that a lot a lot of the more recent ones are for sure better. Like, there were some really terrible ones, like, you know, we already said Sleepwalkers. Yeah. And uh, what was that, the Dreamcatcher movie? That was really, really bad. Yeah, Dreamcatcher was really bad. I mean, I don't know how, I, I wonder how much they had to pay Morgan Freeman to be in that movie. <laughs> It wasn't enough. Yeah. Morgan Freeman uh, definitely earned whatever paycheck they gave him by appearing in that piece of shit. For sure. The, yeah, afore- I mean, the aforementioned Jason Lee was in that movie, too. Oh, yeah. I forgot. You know what movie that he did that always comes back to me? Mm-hmm. That, or it wasn't that he did. It was based on one of his uh, works. Uh, Storm of the Century. Oh, yes. I remember that. Did you ever see the, uh, the, the miniseries for that? Yes, I did. 
I feel that it wasn't as popular as I think it was because I, I always like make a reference to the give me what I want and I'll go away and no one understands what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> But to me, it's like a really, like, it's like a really, because I remember all the previews for it just have, like, him saying, give me what I want, and I'll go away. Yep. Oh my God, that was a complete piece of shit. That was so terrible. Oh, my God. Yeah, the the one brother from Wings was in that. I, I just remember the ending, where there was, like, a, a lottery type thing, and, of course, you know, the his kid, and then, like, they were, it was, it was bad. Yeah, it, it wasn't very good at all. And Stephen yeah. King released that as a book i guess it was a screenplay in book form yeah i think i think that's what i think you wrote it to be like a tv movie yeah um yeah not not a fan yeah for a while he was he was doing a lot of stuff this is not a stephen king conversation by the way right for a while uh he was doing a lot of stuff that i thought was kind of shitty but then he like he really came back strong with like mr mercedes i thought that was really good Mm mm-hmm um, the one after Finders Keepers or that, I thought that was really good. I really like the um, what's the one with the lightning guy? Revival, revival. Oh yeah, revival. That? Yes, I like that one a lot too. That would seem, a little, and this doesn't make any sense, but that seemed almost more like a uh, Richard Bachman type thing than a Stephen King one. No, I agree with you on that. Definitely, even to an extent, Mister Mercedes. But I mean, uh, that was almost like an entirely different like personality. It wasn't really much like either of them. Yeah. yeah, I like those, and I, I, I've seen the preview, it's not him, but I've seen, like, the preview for his son's movie, Nosferatu, that looks kind of, you know, that looks scary, but I haven't really seen it, which which has nothing to do with Stephen King, but I was just mentioning the Kings in general. Yeah, yeah exactly. I feel that his stuff's gotten better lately. Oh, th- there's a celebrity thing, maybe, or, or semi-celebrity thing, uh, Stephen King's daughter, uh, Naomi King, follows me on Twitter. Oh, nice. But maybe anyway. The, uh, the, the... Preacher is what you call him. Yeah, she's reverend. yeah she's a reverend in a Unitarian church. That's cool. Oh, uh, so he seems he seems like all his kids. You know, he seems like he did a good, I mean, even though he had like obviously a lot of trouble when he was you know younger with you know alcohol and drugs, he seemed like he definitely turned himself around. You know, his kids all seem like really productive, happy people. Yeah, I think so. You know, his two sons are are authors. She's a Unitarian minister, and you know they seem like they're. Yeah, like you said, they seem like they're well-adjusted people, which is good. Did you ever see his cameo in uh, Sons of Anarchy? No, that's another show that I've never seen that I need I need to watch. Yeah, kind of. That that show is kind of good. It's it gets really bad at some points. I feel, but he he uh, he plays a uh, he plays like a, you know like a mafia cleaner type guy. Mm-hmm. He just kind of shows up. He's like, yeah, I'll take the bodies away or something. Like it's it's really a fun you know little cameo. That's cool. Yeah. Oh, all right. Well, yeah, uh, Good Omens so far looks pretty good. Um, the demons came and blew up the nunnery at one point too. I mean, it just seems I I have nothing but good thoughts so far. I I hope I'm not disappointed. Um, but yeah, it's I'm really enjoying the show so far. Me too. Well, that is our episode for tonight. Um, oh, I forgot the promo. Um, okay, promo's going at the end this time. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Although we've done a promo for this show at some point already. But uh, as we leave you uh, today and tell you to talk to us on Twitter and Facebook and all that stuff and go to Patreon. Oh, uh, our sister podcast, uh, Carol's been tweeting a lot more lately. She, what's her? Do you know what her Twitter handle? Yeah, her Twitter handle is at late Carol. At late underscore Carol, I think. Nice. Yeah, she, she basically copied your, uh, your Twitter uh, handle. Sounds like she completely ripped me off is what she did. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Carol, just so you know, Mike is uh, mad that you ripped him off on his Twitter. I kind of am just a little bit, though. 
Um, but yeah, she's uh, doing a lot of uh, like '90s diary stuff and everything, so that's kind of cool. Yeah, like her, it's she's definitely been more active lately. So check all that out. Check us out at Massive Late Fee on Twitter at Late or underscore Mike at, at Late underscore Carol. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if you want to see what I've been up to on Twitter, just uh, follow Carol. She'll retweet it or say her own. Oh, well, that is our show. Uh, as we leave you, listen to this brew crime promo. Uh, brew crime is a very good true crime podcast that we are definitely happy to be associated with. And we will see you next week for more good omens. Talk to you later. Bye. This is Brew Crime, a craft beer and true crime podcast. I'm Mike. I'm Beck. And I'm Nina. And we're your hosts. We pair a true crime story with a craft beer. That Nina will probably hate. Yeah, probably. Whatever. You can find our show on all your favorite podcast apps, and if you can't find it, contact us, and we'll try and change that. We can be found at brewcrime.com, or on Twitter at brewcrime, on Facebook at brewcrime, or if you want to go to our group, it's group slash brewcrime on Facebook, or on Instagram at Pacific Beer Chat. Join us as we discuss the horrible crimes that surround us and try not to giggle. <laughs>